This is the Wednesday evening gathering at St Paul's Knightsbridge and you're welcome to join me for this time of reflection, an opportunity to think, to reflect and to pray on the theme of this week's podcasts. This week, straight talking with God, some thoughts on the grammar of prayer. Day three, the imperative mood. When I was 15, I went on a school exchange to Orléans, south of Paris, to get to grips with spoken French and with the experience of life in a French family. I was collected from the town hall by Madame Grèche and her son Olivier, who was the same age as I was, and who later the same year came to Scotland. Olivier was a really nice guy, and my French rapidly improved, though not, of course, without a few car crashes along the way but I guess that it was good to sin boldly in French and inevitable to get things wrong if you were willing to give it a go. I remember the peals of laughter which greeted what I thought was the correct response to Madame Crèche's inquiry as we stood in the kitchen soon after having been picked up at the town hall. She asked whether I was hungry. Would I like something to eat? Oui, merci, madame, I said. J'ai faim. What I'd meant to say was, I'm hungry. J'ai faim. Instead, I declared, j'ai femme, that I had a wife. Olivier's big sister was great too, but his young brother, Martin, was a monster. And one of the phrases I heard more than any other during my stay was the cry, Martin, ça suffit, arrête. Martin, that's enough, stop it. If on Monday we briefly considered interjections, those words expressing emotion that stand alone in sentences, often they have exclamation marks and are blurted out by us like wow or oi or yuch. And you'll remember that I suggested that if we saw that as a metaphor for making our prayers more expressive, spontaneous and real, and by contrast less censored, polished and self-conscious, that would be no bad thing. Then yesterday we turned to the question of case and considered the vocative case and the difference between O-H exclamation mark, O, and O as in O come all ye faithful. And I suggested that we would probably pray better and more authentically if we spoke directly to God as it were in the vocative as to a father, straightforwardly, heart to heart. Today, I want to think briefly about the question of mood in grammar, and particularly about the imperative mood. Now, we don't need to go down a particularly deep rabbit hole in thinking about mood, since it's something that we all handle instinctively as native speakers, and it flows from us without any great deal of thought. But it's subtle and clever stuff that we do Suffice it to say that in English, and more so in other languages, mood is the dimension of verbs that subtly expresses whether something is or could be or should be, and quite often involves us using alongside verbs, so-called modal auxiliaries or modal adverbs or modal adjectives. A phrase might be said to be in the indicative mood if it's a statement of how things really are. The indicative mood, which is the most common mood in English, is the mood of certainty, actuality. Phil opens the breakout rooms is a statement in the indicative mood because it's a statement of fact. By contrast, some statements are said to be in the subjunctive mood because 
rather than being statements of facts, they are statements about wishes, possibilities, doubts, suggestions, and so on. For example, it may snow tomorrow. It's not a fact yet. It's a possibility in the speaker's mind, and therefore it's subjunctive. I would do it if I had the time. It's not a fact. It's dependent on me having time. Or you should listen to your parents. It's not a fact. It's a suggestion. But it's the third very common grammatical mood in English that I want to concentrate on tonight, the imperative mood, which is not about what is, nor about what may or could be, but is rather the mood of command. Imperative means expressing an order. Things like, go outside, close the door, please, don't touch that object. One interesting thing about the imperative mood is that you usually don't use the subject pronoun. You don't say, you shut the door, you just shorten it to shut the door. And for this reason, imperatives can sometimes feel a little too direct. Madame Kresch, endlessly shouting at her disobedient youngest son, Martin, was using the imperative. Martin, arrête! Ça suffit! Martin, stop! That's enough. One of the fascinating things about the Gospel is how often Jesus uses the imperative mood when he speech, speaks and teaches. Kathleen Norris, the American poet, has taken some of these and put them together in a short poem entitled Imperatives, which goes like this. Imperatives. Look at the birds. Consider the lilies. Drink ye all of it. Ask, seek, knock, enter by the narrow gate. Do not be anxious, judge not, do not give dogs what is holy. Go, be it done for you, do not be afraid. Young woman, arise, young man, I say, arise. Stretch out your hand, stand up, be still, Rise, let us be going, love, forgive, remember me. Jesus speaks in the imperative mood often. He takes up his authority and commands or instructs or demands. And there's more than this. When he teaches his disciples to pray in St. Luke's Gospel, and when he himself is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in St. Matthew's Gospel, he suggests that we should harness the imperative mood when we speak to God. Here is the Matthean version. See what you notice about the mood. And this is Matthew 6, if you want to look it up later. Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
It's quite direct, isn't it? It's instructive, demanding and direct. Give us, forgive us, lead us not. We probably don't think too much about words that are so familiar that we practically say them on autopilot. But when you do stop and think about them, you see how direct Jesus encourages us to be in our life of prayer. Ask, and it will be given you. Knock, and it will be opened. I wonder how you feel about being so direct with God. Perhaps you think it's a bit rude, not very British. And I do notice that when we Brits pray, we not only couch our language very often in Elizabethan politesse, but we tend away from the imperative towards the subjunctive, don't we? We become hesitant, conditional, praying in the realms of possibilities rather than squaring up to God and straightforwardly asking, indeed demanding, beseeching, instructing. Which is interesting, isn't it? Now, there are other possible reasons beyond our British politesse and cultural peculiarities for this hesitancy and lack of directness when we pray. And one very obvious one is, of course, that God very often doesn't answer prayer, doesn't do what we tell him to do, and so perhaps we quickly come to couch our discourse with God in a more conditional or subjunctive way, as it were, to avoid disappointment. After all, if we don't straightforwardly ask, we won't be disappointed if we don't get. And why doesn't God always seem to answer prayer? Well, because he's not a heavenly sweet shop owner giving us sweets to cheer us. That is fundamentally to misunderstand the nature of our relationship with the Creator. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be straight talking with God. And it doesn't mean that we should hide our desires and our wants from him, as Jesus suggests we should. Because, and this is the really important thing, when we take up an attitude of standing tall, demanding, commanding, openness with God, expressing clearly what we want to be and to do and to have, that changes us. And whatever God's inscrutability and apparent silence, the very act of squaring up to God and pouring out our demands and needs and wants and commands brings about a change in our being. We stand before God as God has made us, alive in confidence. We stand before God unguarded, honest, true, authentic. We reveal who we really are to God and to ourselves. And that is the relationship that Jesus, is encour Jesus encourages us to have with God, not to be self-doubting or self-concealing or opaque or confused, but to stand tall and to have the courage to open ourselves to God fully. When we do so, we may hear and see and know ourselves differently. And we may begin 
to change. So, on Monday, I suggested that our lives of prayer could be better if we stopped being so wretchedly polite and allowed interjections and even, I said, the occasional expletive, the raw, unprocessed stuff of our experience to be brought to God. Yesterday, on Tuesday, I suggested that we need to speak to God, not about God, but to pray rather than finding ourselves saying something about the possibility of prayer. And today, I want to encourage us when we speak to God to be unabashed, to be our whole full selves, and to bring our needs and our wants and our demands to God in the imperative mood and not the subjunctive. This is my 